Hi everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department Podcast. I'm your host, Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, animation, and other creative fields about their beginnings, their successes, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, I talk to Executive Creative Director at Sereno Coin, Jay Cooper. If you are in any way familiar with Broadway or children's book publishing, then chances are excellent that you have seen Jay's work. Among other topics, we learn what it's like to be in the room where Jay's team creates advertising campaigns for Broadway. We discuss how illustration is experiencing a revival on the Great White Way, and we learn how Jay doubles as a prolific children's book author and illustrator. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Okay, there? Yep. Okay, hi. I have I have a glass of wine. <laughs> I, I poured like a little bit. I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I'm recording and I should just have a little bit. And uh, I'm looking at the, I'm looking, yeah, I'm looking at the glass of wine. It's halfway full. Yeah. It's optimistic. <laughs> You're optimistic about this podcast. Uh, Mark's like one quarter empty. <laughs> Yeah, I kid, I kid. I uh, I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's get going, man. Okay, let's talk about some stuff. I'm recording right now, by the way. Oh, you are. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I debated whether or not to tell you or not tell you. Roll them. <laughs> You know, I think if, if if you were a Mr. Men character, I would say you're Mr. Busy. Oh, I, yeah. No, I would love to figure out which exact Mr. Man character I might be. I feel like you would be Mr. Mr. Organized. Oh, I don't know about that. Uh, yeah, no, I think I'd, I'd be probably be like Mr. I'd be a combination of Mr. Fancy and Mr. Messy. I actually work. Ooh, those are good ones. Yeah. With. Uh, Disney theatricals and they said at one point that they thought that I was a combination between uh, Cogsworth from Beauty and the Beast and Timon from The Lion King, which actually is kind of a perfect uh, (laughs) concoction of of who I am. Oh, nice. So how's it going, man? I mean, I feel like you're just never you're just nonstop. It's been a crazy it's been a crazy year. I, I've it's been a crazy uh, couple of years. It's been a crazy couple of years, but this year specifically, I've released eight books. Wow. Yes. So it's it's been a lot. It's been a lot of late nights and weekends, and kind of utilizing every every moment of time, including that all important train ride into the city that I do on New Jersey Transit. I'm on the I'm on the train, and mm-hmm. I, I I I do it kind of DIY, and I've actually gotten some compliments on my. My 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 makeshift studio on the train, where I just take a three ring binder and I lay it flat over my lap, and put my laptop up on that, and I still I still mouse it. I don't even use a Wacom tablet, and I I, I do my retouching with my mouse on the train. I don't know how you do it that way. It's and, and it's it's funny because I just once you get used to it, you just do it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You know, every now and then, um, I'll think of you on the train doing the work that you do because I know that you you don't just sit there and fold your arms and and halfway go to sleep but until you get to work that you're actually doing another job you're doing jobs on top of jobs on top of jobs and anytime i think of you like on the train it reminds me of leo leone a little bit and he wasn't he an ad guy too he was an ad guy yeah so was eric carl there's a lot of advertising to to children's lit crossover yeah. that I, I i find both you know logical in some ways, but also it's, it's, it's fascinating to me because they are so different, those two worlds. And yet there are so many, it's a a great Venn diagram, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Eric Carl did, um, pharmaceutical advertising. That's amazing. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's go back in time a little bit because I, there are some holes I want to fill. Uh, I know a lot about you because, um, Full disclosure: You and I are incredibly good friends. We've known each other for a nice, 
nice 20 years. I think 20 or 21. Yeah, I was thinking about that today. I was trying to, to do the math in my head. I think it's about 21. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I know, I know the, I know the, the main bullet points and some of the smaller ones, but let's fill, let's fill in some holes here. So should we go all the way back to Dover? No, there's no need to do that. <laughs> no one needs to, no one needs to go back to Dover. <laughs> oh, come on. I mean, you know, I grew, up, I grew up a massive comic book nerd. I was in my, while well, everybody was out playing sports and going to dances and whatnot. I was in my basement reading, reading Claremont Byrne X-Men and, uh, that eventually graduated to like, Neil Gaiman, Sandman, and, uh, you know, that's what I did really up until I, I went to college. I really did nothing of, of import aside from Dungeons and Dragons, watching a lot of pop culture on television and movies and reading a lot of comic books in my entire first 18 years. That was, that was it. Mm. And I think that's all probably what a lot of, a lot of people of my generation that have come into, you know, and to be, you know, the creative industry, they probably, that's probably what they, what they did too. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I thought about that. I think about that a lot. You know, it's like our kids growing up with dads who are better at them at video games or know more about comic books than they do. If my dad knew more about video games than I did, that, that would have been a really interesting childhood. Instead, he, you know, he was always like, get off those damn games. And why do you play video games so much? Go outside and do some work. It's backwards, though, because my kids have no interest in any of that stuff. So all of that cool, although they did see me do the the infinite guy, the, the infinite like extra men thing on Mario Brothers once. And they were like, what is going on? It's <laughs> the infinite guy trick on Mario Brothers. And they saw me beat it in one go and it blew it blew their minds. Nice. And, and, and I got like a little bit of street cred there. But other than that, they don't they don't. They don't care about my comic books. They don't care about my massive collection of comic books. What are you, you going to do that? Mm. I wish we could trade brains a little bit because I think my kids would absolutely dig having a dad who knew more about comic books than I do. I can, I can like, I pretend a little, you know, I, I know a little bit, but it's not as nearly as much as, I mean, you have an encyclopedia it's a lot we were watching so there's like the crisis on infinite earth things that is happening right now in the cw which is the, not the best television to watch but um but it goes through all these like these these little moments of these different these different alternate earths and they hit like you know uh earth 66 which is a batman from the 60s and they had a burt ward cameo as the original robin which was super cute but they started off with um, they started off with Tim Burton's Batman was the, was the first one. I think it was like earth 89, mm-hmm. um, which must've been a reference to the year that I, I guess Batman came out. Yeah, the sounds about right. mm-hmm. Um, but you, I could tell it, I could tell it because of the, of the actor that was featured and the, and the music by, uh, Danny Elfman, uh, it was, it was like, Oh my God, that's amazing. And my kids were, they were kind of impressed that I, I could from that little tiny clip glean what was going on. Nice. My kids say hello. Oh, hi. They saw your name. I have like a list of podcast guests and I'm updating it and stuff. And they saw your name and they were like, what are you? Are you talking to Jay Cooper? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. And they're like, tell him we said hi. I'm talking to Uncle Jay. You're just talking to Uncle Jay, right? Talking to Uncle Jay. Yeah. Talking to Uncle Jay. Um, I don't know this. I mean, I know you went to UD, but I don't know anything about your UD days. I wanted to go to uh, Savannah. College of Art and Design. Yeah, yeah, but my parents didn't think that I was. Uh, they thought I was too too young, emotionally, to to go. And they were not wrong. I don't I don't fault them for this. Um, because when I did go, I went to University of Delaware. Because my I know I, I grew up in Delaware. It was my 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 dad. I was you know it's my dad's school. I, I really didn't use my time wisely there either. I honestly I don't feel like anything really started until I came to New York City after college. I started off as an art art major at UD and uh, and I dropped out of that major after the first year um, when a friend of mine uh, turned me on to uh, the Yellow Wallpaper, which is the first time I'd read that um, short story. It was a great feminist, you know, um, short story, uh, and it just blew my mind. It blew my mind that that literature that I'd never really, I'd never really gotten into serious literature. I'd always gotten to pop literature, um, sci-fi and fantasy and, and, and whatnot. 
not uh, that they they could be that powerful and and so I, I switched my major to to lit and uh and carried lit through the rest of my college career mm-hmm. like a minor in like um religious studies which was sort of like philosophy is religion basically mm-hmm. or religions you know if you will right. um and I, and I left there with a you know a basic a basic liberal arts degree with with you know the, the, the classic, what are you going to do with an English degree situation? <laughs> and I remember actually shortly after graduating, like sitting on my balcony of our, 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 our tiny little apartment and, 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 and crying because I didn't know what I was going to do with my degree. I had no idea what the future held. And, uh, it was, I, re- I re- vividly remember how incredibly, incredibly stressed I was about the fact that I just, I knew I would never make more than $30,000 a year. I was never going to make any money in my life. I had no idea what I'm going to do. So, um, that was basically college. Did you always think that you were going to end up in New York? No. So I was, um, in a theater group, E52 at University of Delaware, a great theater group. Um, a girlfriend at the time and a, and a friend of mine, um, they, she got into Columbia grad school and moved up here from Maureen and, and then, uh, and then another friend, Kate, they moved up to New York. Uh, Kate's sister had an illegal, was given an illegal sublet in Stye town, which is like around like uh, 20th street. And so the three of us moved in together into an apartment. And shortly thereafter, I, uh, I got a temp job at Martha Stewart living magazine of all places, literally just as a, you know, helping them move into a new floor as a, as a mailroom guy. I have no idea how you got that job. I was through like a temp agency. I, I found Martha Stewart living through through them. I didn't even know how to spell Martha Stewart. So what happened was I got into Martha Stewart. I'm a nice person. I've, I've got a winning personality of nothing else. And um, I was helping the ad sales department move into their floor. It was just right off of Bryant Park mm-hmm. on... 42nd between 5th and 6th, the same building that housed the New Yorker, which was the dream job. I would have, I wish I'd had the courage to, to apply to, to New Yorker seriously. Um, ended up sort of winning over this ad sales team with my positive attitude and, uh, <laughs> you know, um, and you're and the glass half full guy. I'm the I, glass half empty guy. I was, and I had, there was three women that I ended up assisting on a, on a temp basis. And then they decided to hire me and, 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 and I came on permanently through that. My first time I was dictated a letter by one of the sales reps to go out to, um, to like a, a client. I, I spelled Stuart S T U A R T. I used to Stuart and she called me to her office and she said, uh, you know, Jay, do you have any idea who Martha Stewart is? And I said, no, I'm sorry. I don't, I had no idea, which is the, I mean, I, I don't know how mm. I came back the next day after that, but I did. And, and, and oh my gosh, history. So I stayed there, um, and got interested in the marketing department, uh, and, and the design team that was there on site. There was, uh, three designers that were doing specific marketing design all the time in their little hubble. And I would help them, um, traffic, traffic their pieces and get approvals and, and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. They got interested in design. So I started taking classes at SVA at night because it had the, the, the lack of focus I'd had for art in college. I'd, I'd suddenly found that from seeing, honestly, it was from seeing a real world. Right applications of design. I remember taking design was one of the first required, you know, Mm -hmm. classes we took and it just seemed so esoteric to me. I didn't, I didn't understand it, which is funny because university of Delaware actually has one of the best design programs on the East coast. Uh, the C program there is fantastic and they have a, they've got a killer, um, cut rate where they go through every year. They 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 cut out half the class until they end up with like a, a tight little graduating class. Yeah. And I've got a lot of friends that have graduated through the BC program. I'm not one of those. Yeah, I mean, I, don't sleep on University of Delaware, folks. It's a good school, man. It's a great school, and they got it's a well, it's a holistic approach. You get a great education. You could be a good. You could go to take fantastic art classes there. It's yeah, it's a good school. 
so you were kerning were you like kerning text as part of like one of your early jobs as a designer at martha stewart were you uh, fixing rivers or something what were you doing with the text that you had to like fix the letter spacing all day long um so i transferred out of the marketing department into the art production department and the art production department at martha stewart um is kind of a fantastic proving ground for typography I've never seen anything like it. I don't think there was anything before it or whatever exists (laughs) since that was so precise in its adherence to like perfectly current typography and what we would do all day long. It was, it was amazing. We would create columns of text where we would go in and between every O between and, and like, obviously you could, you know, we had a perfected specific font. It was a, it was a, I don't know what we started off with. We ended up with a Gotham. They ended up with an MSLO Gotham. They specifically created one. They bought, they bought one, um, off of, uh, uh who does that? Is it Huffler? Huffler. Um, Is it? yeah, I think so. Yeah. Huffler created for Martha Stewart. Wow. A specific font for them. But even still, and at least before that, I would go in and I would take out a couple of points before every O after every O, um, around, uh, apostrophes. Um, there was, there were a million rules and there were certain, uh, you could, you could like do a slight horizontal scale, very slight horizontal scale, which even, even for that was kind of breaking the rules, but we would end up with these, these, um, saw band of, of, of teeth, the saw teeth rag that would go like, it was perfect. It was perfect. And every issue, every column of type would have, that perfect rag on it, that perfect in out. And that's, that's just, I mean, that's just the column. That's just, you know, the, 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 the text in the, you know, the FOB and the back B and like, you know, and in the articles, the well section with that typography, that was even crazier because those were, you know, that was, that was large scale typography. They was just, they was, it was a level of perfectionism. I, I, I wonder if there are graphic designers listening to what you're saying right now, like screaming, no, because you know, graphic designer, when they put together, when they design a letter form or an alphabet, a typeface, the idea is that it's so beautifully and well designed, well spaced and current and let it, you know, letting and all that, that you don't need to do a horizontal scale on any of the letters. You don't need to move anything. You shouldn't be kerning anything. It should just be perfect. But to go back in there and screw with all of that, I, mean, I, I think that I can that may, might rankle some designers who are listening out on this. <laughs> I think there was perfect, and there was Martha Stewart perfect, <laughs> and that Martha Stewart perfection does not exist anymore. It oh is since it has since been watered down. How long were you there? A couple years. I right? was there for for five or six years until two thousand and two, I think, and I met my wife there. What was she doing when you met her? How did you meet her? Well, we worked on the same floor at the time. Uh, Laura was writing a lot of the, um, the good things pieces at the, at the front of the book, which is like, mm-hmm. it was Martha's advice column, you know, yeah. it's a good thing. And then, and she was doing a lot of kind of the, 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 the captions and the stories that were, that were like in Martha's own voice. So she was really able to sort of like take Martha's words and sort of, you know, right. and, 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 and kind of create that voice on paper right. when we first really interacted. We were taking an elevator together and I asked her what she was never really spoken a word together. I was like, what are you reading right now? Just cause I wanted to make conversation, but it's also kind of hitting on her. The rest is history. Yeah. It's just funny to think that Martha Stewart is responsible for my family. Like I <laughs> would not be around if not for Martha Stewart. So thanks Martha. Thank you. Uh, I think it's doing great. <laughs> I think you're doing well too. You know, it's funny now I'm thinking I'm, I'm realizing this literally this minute as we're, as we're talking and recording this, I, when I first met you, I always felt like you were, you were never where you wanted to be. You were always on the go. You're when I saw you, you were between a and B, you weren't at a or B. And now that I'm thinking about that, I mean, you're still kind of like an on the go kind of guy. I mean, you're never just sit. You're never sitting still. I, every time we we hang out, you're always like you're working and you're thinking about work or you're 
like you never again you're, you're sitting on the train you're never just sitting on the train you're it's you're true. working is that a good thing i don't know but it is true i i do kind of it's not exactly like zen buddhist is it right <laughs> i i'm not i never really like enjoy the moment i'm always thinking okay well what's next down the line what do i have to do what's coming up what's the what's what's the next move and not in a calculated way and a sort of i just yeah i like, I, it, like I, it's like it's coming and you need to prepare yourself for it yeah like an object in motion stays in motion you know right it's sort of, i'm just used to being in motion um I think I'm in like less that? I'm I'm in less motion than I was. I mean, I have a lot of deadlines, but um I've always felt, sort of felt like I've been playing catch up in a way, and I think it's because of the fact that I either feel like I didn't have motivation or momentum when I was younger. I I see a world now where that would have been a really good thing to have had. There's a great Billy Collins poem. So I go back to the house for a book. Have you ever read that poem? No. It's about uh, Billy Collins. He's 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 leaving. He's leaving for a trip or or just some sort of errand. And he goes back and he suddenly realizes that he'd left a book that he wanted to bring along behind. So he goes back to the house to get the to get the book. But as he's leaving the house with his book, he's 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 suddenly aware that in another in another alternate reality in another plane out there there's the billy collins who didn't go back to the house for the book and he's out there somewhere he's out there somewhere like like five minutes ahead of this billy collins you know mm -hmm. this billy collins that didn't go back to the house for the book oh that's from a uh billy collins book of poetry called picnic comma lightning and it is uh it is a quote from i think the book Lolita by Nabokov and it's about how Humbert Humbert's mother died parentheses picnic comma lightning and parentheses and Billy said that it was the best use of parentheses in the English language and he may be right it is brilliant yeah. I don't want this to be a morose podcast where it's like oh Oh, why didn't I, why didn't I appreciate art? Because, <laughs> because, and I'll tell you why, because um, after Martha Stewart, as you know, I put together um, a professional portfolio mm -hmm. and I got hired as a, a book cover designer at Penguin. Then I made my way into Broadway, which it turned out that having an education in literature and theater ultimately because they're 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 intertwined in an education in design turned to be incredibly beneficial how did you decide oh uh basically you know advertising specifically broadway advertising is is where my where i can apply my talents well i wasn't i wasn't really looking for it um uh, drew hodges at spotco the you know the man who created the the logo for rent and then Chicago and then, you know, everything thereafter. He, he actually saw my wedding invitation that I had created and he passed that invitation on to the, uh, the head of, uh, advertising, the great Vinny Sonato. And I was there for, I was there for like, like a good 10 years. So that's incredible. So what I'm hearing you say is your personal project, this, this wedding invite is what got you that job. Yes. That's incredible. Thus begins your, cough cough second act as it were i don't know what i don't know about broadway advertising there are some things i do know just most of it from what you've told me you've done a hundred plus campaigns for broadway shows for um the rockettes the, the christmas spectacular you've done a number of can't even wrap my head around so help us understand maybe take us through one story which would help us understand what you need to consider it's, it's, you know, it's hard or, to pull one story and the reason it's hard to pull one story is um is because it's the difference between and this is the illustration podcast so let's talk a little bit about the difference between broadway design and illustration uh and i've had a lot of conversations with a lot of a lot of artists about this over the years um 
that illustration, right, as we know, is is really the goal is to find your own visual voice, right, right. in the yeah. void, make it your own, and it's your own brand, and you're going out there in the world and putting your own voice in the world and hoping that that voice reverberates with uh, with you know with a- with anyone really. Design is the exact opposite. Design is the ability. I mean, unless like in those rare cases of the chip kids aside of the world, right? The the the, the rare it's it's the, the the ideal designer that's able to emulate the voice of the product mm-hmm. that they are representing. And in the case of Broadway, that's that's a very specific product and each musical and each play is really is its own entity its own beautiful perfect like you know little little gemstone that 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 can't be recreated right by anything else so one minute you're sort of working on let's say like this like you know heavy two-hander about the Eliz- in the, you know set in the elizabethan era you know or or whatever 19th century whatever um and the next minute you're working on you know a 20 person gigantic musical with glitter and drag queens you know and i've done <laughs> both and i've i've done both the same season and what you need to do like the the reason it really is hard to find it's very it's very hard to find really good designers for broadway is is the ability to be able to sort of seamlessly step between those two things and to feel like you understand them both very well enough to like visually represent them um but also at the same time just be you know graphic and bold enough in a really crowded marketplace like Times Square where you have like basically 20 different shows vying for attention on top of everything else in Times Square vying mm-hmm. for everybody's attention on top of the Elmos, you know, on top yeah. of the Mickey Mouse's, uh, on top of Bubba the... Bubba Shrimp. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So finding one story that sort of encapsulates the whole thing um, is kind of difficult. I'll, I mean, I, I, I guess if I was going to take one solid stab at it i'd say maybe maybe talking about frozen it was a very it was a very long process um as it as it should be when you're bringing something of that scale you know to the stage we went through a lot of steps and to to find a mark Mm -hmm. and it was really and that's at the beginning, it's always it's a whole team. You know, you get kind of everybody in. It's all it's all in. It was that it was that way with with Hamilton. It was all in. Everybody worked on it. Sort of narrowed down to it's you know a small team or one person. It was that way with with Frozen. You sort of like everybody did multiple rounds of of comps. And I mean, I like all kinds of all kinds of comps comps that were photographic, treated photography. Um, you know, illustration and marks, and it's all about you know what does what does this show want to be? What what what's a single simple static image to represent the show? And after many many rounds, the client said, you know, really what we really are interested in is something that's surprising, something that has you know like a hidden a, a hidden thing within it, something that once you if you're looking at it, you know, even on a surface level, you see, okay, that's a snowflake, but what else could it be? And so we we contacted Ali Moss. He's a illustrator and actually a video game designer um, who's uh, from England originally and lives in L.A. now, I believe. Um, and uh, he's the kind of guy who did like great work for Star Wars and Harry Potter, you know. Um, and then, and then ultimately he came up with the, you know, the snowflake that's also the silhouetted sisters, which is also Elsa at the very, at the very base of it. And if you're looking at it, you know, the, the general person on the street just sees the snowflake. And then there's always the people that see like the two faces, but then like, you know, not everybody sees like that one solitary Elsa at the very bottom who's letting it go. And I like that. I like that sense that like, if you just want to see Frozen, that's great. But if you're one of those people that like wants to take it one step further, mm-hmm. oh, that's fine too. There's a there's a there's a there's a hidden thing to unlock. But if you're that type of person that takes it two steps further, there's that too. You mentioned Hamilton, so let's talk about Hamilton. 
How did that come about? How did that logo come about? I, I take no credit for that, for the Hamilton artwork. I was in the room where it happened, <laughs> but I take no credit for it. It was entirely the, uh, the creation of, uh, Nikki Lindemann, who yeah. is a uh, art director, uh, actually creative director over at uh, Spotco. Uh, this was one of those rare moments where everybody's vision kind of aligned. Uh, so, you know, you always have uh, these presentations where producers, you know, they come in after you've done all of this work. And of course, there's a creative brief at the very beginning where they tell you, they give you, they download you with as much information as possible about a project that you're mm-hmm. working on. Uh, and it's, you know, it's sometimes it's the producer, sometimes it's the producer and the director, sometimes it's the producer, the director and the writer. Um, sometimes it's even the, um, the celebrities that might be starring in the, uh, really in the production themselves. Yeah. It, it, and every, every single one's its own, its own particular complicated gumbo of controlling personalities. In the case of Hamilton, uh, it's Jeffrey Seller is the was the producer. Um, so Jeffrey came in and really like honed in right on that one right away. It was like that's absolutely that's that's the one for me. Yeah. Let's let Lynn come in, and take a look at all of these, and 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 see what he thinks. And Lynn came in and did the exact same thing. He was like literally like beeline right for it. I've actually very rarely in my time seen that much just solidification on the producing team and the creative team. What's one campaign? Like, is it kinky boots? Like what's one campaign that you felt all the boxes got checked and it worked perfectly and it, and the show was better for it. And then what's one show where the opposite happened, where you felt like maybe the show, maybe the imagery was the right imagery, but it didn't resonate with ticket buyers or some other, disappointment or you know an image that you had designed that you really thought was the right one that didn't get chosen so let's go with positive and then not so positive oh my gosh oh my gosh that's a hard one all right so and it's a minefield because <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know it's gonna be listening to this all right so um i'm sure the entire world's gonna be listening to this um I'll, I'll, I'll say that for the one that, that, that checked all the boxes, it's actually, it's the, uh, piece that we just won the Clio for as an agency. It was the first ever live entertainment Clio. We, we, we took the gold on it. It was the boys in the band revival. It was through David Stone, who's the, um, the producer on wicked. Uh, and I didn't get a chance to work on the, the creation of the, the wicked artwork. Although I do, I, I do have the, um, the benefit of working on the show now. Um, uh, the, the honor, I should say, of working on the show now, but, uh, but, but the boys in the band, much like that Hamilton artwork actually was one where David Stone came in and said, all right, listen, I've talked to the director. I've talked to the, uh, the other producer, Ryan Murphy, and this is what we want to do. This is our vision for the show. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it was like they wanted to try some some cool new stuff, but they also really wanted to try a recreation of the original Boys in the Band, you know, f- um, photo group photo, and they had this line of words that these these you know these incendiary words um, for uh, LGBTQ, um, you know, uh, Mary sissy do 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 ending in uh, ending in, in faggot, and it was very it was you know it was a very it was very risky. It was very bold, um, and we and they had a fantastic cast assembled behind it. I think we had Robert Trachtenberg shoot it. He's a he's a fantastic photographer. So that that sort of ended up being one of those moments where it came out a perfect cake right out of the oven, you know. Yep. And it was because it was because of of, of clarity. Um, bad i don't know i don't know i don't know what i want to say about that <laughs> i'm gonna let you off the hook on the bad one i thank I, you <laughs> i appreciate that because you know what well, here's the thing and I'll, I'll say this too and this is a fair thing to say mm-hmm. that i've worked on a lot of stinkers i have i mean i've worked on over as you said over 100 shows and as somebody that creates also in addition to like advertises things that people create mm-hmm. or markets things that people create when you're actually creating something it's really 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 hard 
it's really hard to create something good in this world. And I have to deal on those opening nights with those critics writing us off a missive about whether that show is worthwhile or not worthwhile to see. I'm the one that sees the face fall of a producer when this thing that they've been working on for years and years and years and really, really putting their their whole soul behind, you know, I've seen producers cry. I've seen producers have to leave because what we do is it's kind of interesting in its own way too. It's old school journalism. It's like one of the last bastions of it where the night a show opens at 10 o'clock, the reviews come in Mm -hmm. and then we'll gather in a small group. It's called the, we'll have our little war room. It will be off on the side Mm -hmm. of the opening night party. So I'll go to these opening night parties, but I don't, you know, get to go for fun. I go there to work. And while the producers are out there, you know, greeting people, um, you know, just schmoozing and doing what they need to do. We're off on the side, collecting all the reviews and then pulling the great quotes from the reviews and determining like what the next day is going to be like and how right. the strategy needs to be the next day for the show. Yep. And that's what we you see know? on like web banners and mm-hmm. on TV ads. I mean, you guys pull that stuff off instantaneously almost because you have to, right? I mean, as soon as a, as soon as a show gets all those quotes and starred reviews and such, I mean, you're, you're hustling to, to get it out into the world. We are, we're hustling and we will, what we'll do is that night we'll pick the three favorite short quotes that can go into like a rotating banner ad. And then our, um, you know, the, the web team will, will create the multiple versions of that and submit those and they'll have it all ready to go mm-hmm. with placeholder copy. Um, but then we'll have that that'll go the next night and the next morning and the next morning the producer will come in along with the, their, their team and we'll put together our, you know, our New York times ads or our double trucks or the front of house pieces that need to change, you know, in the front of house, which is, is it, you know, you have your, your, your marquee, your cases, and sometimes you have vinyl wraps on the doors. And so that as soon as we can, after a show opens, we try to, the day of, we at least try to switch out the underslings, which are those like long horizontal pieces that hang under, you know, right above the doors that have the, have the quotes on them. We try to get those up as soon as we can. And then we try to do something, something larger, you know, if, if, if the show gets the, 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 the words it needs, you know, um, but just going back to the sort of the, you know, talking trash about your ex, I, I, it's, it's, I've, you know, I'm friends with all of my exes, you know, they're all good people that it didn't work out, but you know, that's not, that's not necessarily their fault or my fault. Right. It's just, you know, it's almost like, I mean, just kind of just thinking this as a book designer, if I'm designing, if I read a manuscript and I mean, there have been books where I've read the manuscript and I was like, this is amazing. And I can't wait for this to go out into the world. And then put together a design that I thought was the right intersection of good design principles, marketability, preconceptions of what, you know, the team needed or wanted, like all these things. And then the book just flops and vice versa. So do you feel that? And in, as you know, as you probably experienced this, like if a book flops and the publisher is, hell bent on trying to resurrect it what's the very first thing they go they blame or or change you know the book design the illustrator choice the design choice in broadway like if something if something isn't going if the show just isn't isn't taking off like people want it to take off do they turn their collective heads to the advertising group oh yes (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah we're the first heads on the chopping block. Absolutely. Oh wow. yeah. It's happened. Really? It's happened a couple of times. Yes. Yes. Really? Not all. Yep. It is definitely like, I mean, like honestly, and, and we know that we are the, you know, we're the most sacrificable thing. Yep. I think, uh, the most easy it's, you know, uh, we're the, it's our job to sell, to put the butts in the seats. Right. It's our job to sell the tickets. Right. So if you're not selling the tickets, the first thing you're going to, you know, you're going to point to. And listen, you know, I, you're a baseball fan, right? Yeah. I'm a baseball fan. It's the, you know, the, you the, fire the manager, 
the manager gets fired, right? And that's just the way that it is. And, you know, you, you know it's not necessarily the manager's fault, but you're still like, well, I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> You know? So I've been I've been in that position definitely. Wow. I've been the I've been the manager getting getting let go unfairly. And so sometimes sometimes fairly. I mean I, I, I can point to I, I'm you know, I'm not perfect. There's definitely been a couple of times where I have not been able to correctly like Execute on something. Execute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's happened. Okay. For just my own I don't know if edification is the right word here, but but typically, like illustration, as it as it relates to you know children's book illustration or narrative art illustration, doesn't always make an appearance in Broadway design. Am I wrong? Am I t- tell me I'm wrong? You know, I've 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 worked on plenty of shows that had illustration design or you know straight up illustration on it. Right. Not a crazy amount. So what happened was for a long time it was it was straight illustration or or just type design mm-hmm. for theater and then i think it was re- really it was really around the time that like chicago happened and 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 drew's black and white chicago campaign there started to be a big trend towards towards uh, photography right and rent. that trend still continues specifically when um uh, you know a, a real big celebrity is involved with it if it's a play you know, you're not thinking about running for like 10 years on a play that's a celebrity driven play. Mm-hmm. You're thinking about like it's two years, you're going to the Tonys, you're trying to get the Tony. And the biggest sell to get people into that theater is the face of the person who's going to be on the stage. So in those cases, you're still gunning photography. But I will say that, that, that recently there's been a nice shift back towards mm-hmm. illustration. You know, we worked with, uh, Pete Sev on, uh, you know, on something rotten. And that was, that was exciting to do. Right. Um, I read that um, he, I read that he made a sketch for that poster. Like he got called in. This is for Spotco, right? He got called Spot, in. That was for Spotco. Those are just Spotco days. Yeah. He yes. sketched, he made that sketch on the subway ride into the meeting with Spotco. He did. He did. He brought it in. It was like, here's, I was just doodling this on the subway. What do you think? We're like, yeah, uh, I think that's great. Peter. <laughs> I mean, there are, I mean, look, I, New York covers now, Peter go. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, but Ali Moss was also illustration. Um, yeah. the, the Lion King. I don't know who did that one either. That's that's illustration. That mark is illustration. Yeah. I'm seeing the pendulum swift shift back towards a swing. Uh, swing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, towards illustration, at least a little bit more than yeah. it was before. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's just going to carry more momentum. I think as because I've seen producers come in and say to me, you know, I I want the I want the mark, I want the cat's eyes, right? I want the that's what I want wants. the Miss Saigon mark. I want the I want the I want the lay Miz girl, you know. And to some degree, I have to say to them, you know, the lay Miz girl only works because of the popularity of the lay Miz. That's why you want the lay right. Miz girl. Right. It's not because of the inherent like. It's not that the lamest girl was really saying anything profound. I was like, in the same way that the Nike swoosh isn't anything special. It's just the fact that it's been so popular around so long. Mm-hmm. You think of it as special. Same thing with the Golden Arches and McDonald's. There's not inherently special. It's just it's it's the brand that you associated with it gives it that gives it that platinum touch. Exactly. Uh, when I think of like Broadway il- and and illustration, like I think of like Mark Stutzman, who did the mm-hmm. Young Frankenstein poster. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like that kind of that kind of work. And what's funny about that poster, which I thought was just first of all, he's an amazing illustrator. Period. Um, and he got called in. He was going to do the poster, and he was going to use a model that he had used prior and on other projects. He was like, "Yeah, all right." So he went to contact the model and turned out the model was in jail. And he, uh, according to him, he had to go through uh, what he called some drama and finagling to get that model out of jail. So Mark could put a tux or a suit on him and paint him as Frankenstein. Really? Yeah. I wonder which one that was. Because there was a couple of different Mark Stutzman, Young Frankenstein 
poster iterations. Well, the one and I'm thinking of the is the one, one where he's, he's snarling and he's got his his claw up. And I thought that that was actually modeled after Darren Cox, who was creative director at Spotco as well. There was another one where he's got kind of his his cane and he's sort of like in the middle of a tap dance doing putting on the Ritz and kind of has that slanted down. Uh-huh. There's also a teaser one that I did where I actually photographed um, a guy from the from the agency laying on the ground. I put a bucket on his head and laid a tarp over, <laughs> over it and I took a photo of that and I sent it off to Mark Stutzman uh-huh. and he painted that and that was the um, size matters, uh, teaser billboard in times square. And that was a fun, that was a fun billboard. Oh, wow. By the way, because you and I know each other for a long time and you and I both have hung out in the Port Jervis, New York area, (laughs) the artist for follies, David Edward bird. He did, um, I know the follies poster. Yeah. yeah, He did the follies poster. He did Woodstock. He, he, uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He did posters for like Jimi Hendrix, The Who, and like everybody else. He did a stamp, which I believe was Bugs Bunny. And it was like the first cartoons U.S. postage stamp. He moved to New York from Chattanooga and, you know, got going on being an illustrator. He set up an artist collective on a farm right outside of Port Jervis. And I don't know, I've, I've yet to pinpoint exactly where this is because I want to visit it. It's not still around. You're just saying that. that. No, but it's, yeah. But I want to, I just want to see it, see the, yeah, I'm sure it's a development of some kind. Well, this is rich, man, because you heard about the sci-fi like collective that was up there and that what's that town that's just. Oh, uh, Milford. Milford had, had a a science fiction writer like conglomerate there yeah they might have, i think they still have a conference a sci-fi conference there if i'm not mistaken they might they might anyway we'll so act three i i try to on this podcast bring in a, a spectrum speaking of spectrums here but speaking a spectrum of guests you know not just children's book folks which i mean i love talking about children's books i could do that all day long but you know, just a variety. Anyway, so I was happy to have you on the podcast because we were going to talk about Broadway and you being a creative director. Now we're going to be talking about children's books. So <laughs> just can't seem to escape it, which is fine. So you are also, in addition to all of these other things that you've done, an author, published author and illustrator. How many books have you now? You said you did eight this year published. Yes. How many total? 12 books now, one box set. Your first book was Food Trucks, is that right? Food Trucks. It was through through Little Simon, yes. How did how did that how did you get your first book? My brother-in-law came to me with an idea that he wanted to start a, a kids clothing line. And he wanted me to create the graphics for the clothing line. Uh, it was going to be an organic yet highly colorful mm-hmm. concoction. We didn't know anything about the clothing industry, and the uh, the company ultimately collapsed. House of House of Mongrel, one of the worst names ever for a kids' clothing company, collapsed in two thousand and eight during the uh, during the recession. The recession. Then, yeah. uh, prior to that, I had never had any real motivation to to, to seriously try to illustrate professionally, mainly because I knew that I I. I respected illustrators on the, uh, on this like this plateau this olympus like plateau mm-hmm. these these wonderful gods i would never try to emulate you know uh, maurice sendak or you know arthur arthur rackham or, you know any, any of the people that i i, I absolutely loved growing up uh, when, when it ultimately died it did it did occur to me that oh well i i don't have a clothing company anymore but i do have honestly the makings of an illustration portfolio mm-hmm. and i thought well I mean, there's no reason I, I couldn't do it. I always really wanted to. You know, I was thinking that there's sort of like, a, you know, the um, at the end of New York Magazine, there's uh, the approval matrix page. It's yeah. uh, that crossbar. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, 
good or it's tacky, tasteful, and you know, and and whatnot. There's kind of that perfect matrix in like in, in all of us, and 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 for me, it's um, uh, passion to apathy. You know, one line, mm-hmm. horizontal, let's say, axis, and then the vertical axis is is confidence to fear. Children's books and the creation of illustration and or writing for children's books for me was like the topmost passion and the topmost fear like mm-hmm. that little point at that far end uh, mm-hmm. and it was you know because of that because it was something that I loved so much and something that I was so scared that I would do it poorly so why would I ever do it at all I kept very very far away from it so this other thing that that didn't stress me out so much creating graphics for designing basically mm-hmm. it was just something that I could do it gave me a little bit of confidence that I would I would make a, a serious go of it mm-hmm. with a, a first book called anti-rex it was about a babysitting oh, right. tyrant anti-rex anti-rex anti-rex, anti-rex. Yeah. anti-rex died on the vine died in the submissions to agent process you but you just weren't getting any responses I, or do you, got, you were getting straight projection i got a couple of like oh i'm interested and in show me more at some point okay and then i got one guy that was like please let's let's work on this together and he had me go through multiple revisions to the point where i didn't recognize the piece anymore at all i just lost all my momentum on it and took like a year off then i turned 40 and i went back to it and i said you know what this is something i do, I do really want to do i think it's because I, I not too long beforehand had lost both of my parents it kind of gave me like a sense of more mortality and impending time. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to give it one really solid go, you know, mm-hmm. really just, just give it everything I've got. And if this one fails, fine, whatever. But it didn't. I actually uh, came up with a, a book premise called, it's called Chow Meow. And it was all digital illustration. It was about a, an Italian Vespa riding cat who would, thrown a bunch of characters from different uh countries on the back of her vespa and they all basically just it was just a you know a primer on how to say hello in like 15 different languages mm-hmm. i wasn't really you know breaking open any any new experimental things here mm-hmm. um but it was enough to get uh you know the uh, the attention uh, of an agent um it was actually a old uh, colleague of mine at puffin books way way back in the day Teresa Kapinski. Um, she she said, you know what, this is this is interesting, and I, I'd like to I'd like to work with you, and maybe we don't sell this book, but let's you know let's work together. And um, and she actually did like right after she signed me, she's like, oh hey by the way, and she sent me a board book that was basically another person doing the exact same thing I had done, and it <laughs> had just been released like a month a month earlier. Uh, uh, and, and and it's okay, that's okay, that's yeah, all right yeah, because right. because uh, you know Teresa took me on. You must you must see how you started off when you were a kid, you know, consuming mass market books and TV shows. And and that's what your I mean, your passion is. That's what you do. You're always gravitating. When you, as long as I've known you, you've for, for a long time, you, you've always talked about wanting to write and illustrate children's books. You wanted to get back into literature like your literature loving roots seem to seem to remain right on the surface there. Like there, you've never, you can never seemingly not escape, but you're always drawn back to it. It seems like. Yeah, no. And I don't want to escape that. I love that. Mm -hmm. Like, and I love, that's what I love about children's lit is that it really is at the heart of like, you know, it's where my, it's where my passions lie. I was, I was the kid I was a college student who would go into the children's book section, you know, and just see what was there. And I, re- I vividly remember um, finding the work of Lizbeth Zweiger, um, and uh, I think it was her Gift of the Magi. And I took, I was a, took a, a children's lit class in college. Blew me away. Just blew me away. I mean, you know, and obviously at that point, her style was a little bit more reductive of of Arthur Rackham's style, but still, it was like that was like, oh, there's somebody out there doing this right now. Yeah. Holy shit, that's amazing. Yep. And that's what theater is. I just said that today. I literally just, I just had this conversation today. I was like, yeah, it's it's words, it's a script, and it's pictures, it's people acting those words out on stage. Yep. It's exactly where it's like everything that I. Everything that I love and, and feel passionate about is there in the world of theater as well. So I actually have this wonderful, I'm just lucky as sin to get to work in, in both of those worlds right now and, and, and just revel in them. Yeah. 
So let's remember, uh, let's remember who's sitting here with us having a, a glass of wine. Mine's empty. Oh, I still have some. <laughs> um, we didn't talk about your, mu- we didn't talk about your beard. We didn't talk about your mustache, but we're, we're just, we're not going to, we're just, that's for just for next time. <laughs> because I mean, if we're going to talk about your mustache, it's another 35 minutes and we're just on time. There's so. need to talk about the mustache. Oh this yeah, is there is. Mustache. Yeah, there is. I have a big, so for those who are, <laughs> we're not talking about, for, who can't see us because it's a podcast. I have a big handlebar mustache and I do have a, I have a big long beard and I attribute this to the fact that I, I was the art director for the advertising for the radio city Christmas spectacular for seven years. And I'm fully convinced that in that time, my DNA mingled with santa claus's dna and i have a little bit of chris kringle locked up in my system uh i have so many uh quips uh comebacks <laughs> but let's remember who's uh, listening in on on this conversation and um you know you are one of the most creative one of the definitely busiest people i've ever met and will ever meet and you've done so many different things. You work with so many different people and so many different kinds of visual solutions. What would be one last piece of advice that you want to share with our listeners? Oh, that's a good question. Illustrators and designers that I've worked with, they get into the job with uh, with a, with a, with a positive attitude. I'd say that about you know Peter. Desev, um, I'd say that about about myself when I was, you know, when I was coming into Martha Stewart way way back in the day when I I didn't know how to spell her name, you know, um, but I had a positive attitude, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think that, that makes a big difference. And I know that that's not like you know that's not like stylistic advice, and it's it's it means a lot. I think there's people that are like the wildly talented you know, they can dismiss a positive attitude. I've always heard stories about how um, Robert Frost was a, was a legendary asshole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could be a legendary asshole. He was Robert Frost, you know. Right. He could be, or Steve Jobs could be you know, whoever whoever mm-hmm. he wanted to be because he, of who he was. But right. um, There are a few legendary assholes in the children's book community. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've, oh, I've, I've heard. I've heard the stories. Oh, my gosh. Uh, the names will not be repeated here. They will not of those people. Um, but yeah, you know, I've I I will say that in my short time working in that industry, I've met so many people that um, could be had a right to be so dismissive or, or, or mean, and they and they 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 haven't been. They've been wonderful to me, and they've been so accepting and um, and inclusive. Um, and, and open and warm, uh, it's, it's made my time in that world a real gift. And, and I feel the same in the Broadway world. I can think of the people that this big celebrities, I can think of the big celebrities, uh, that came in, like say on the day of the, that boys in the band photo shoot, these were, these were like the Jim Parsons of the world. And they, 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 you know, they could have had a chip on their shoulder and they didn't, they didn't, they were professional they were positive and they were respectful of what I was doing and trying to do there. And that made a big difference on me and it made a big difference in the day. And ultimately they made a big difference in the artwork and the way that I feel about the artwork looking at it, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, and the best advice at all. And I cannot even say this is my advice. I'm going to give full credit right now to, uh, to Terry Jackson, to my friend, Terry Jackson, who is my Obi-Wan Kenobi who when I was saying to him a couple years ago, I, I don't know about this pitch. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I have the time to do it. And he said, Jay, you always say yes, and then you figure it out. To learn more about Jay, visit jcooperbooks.com. If you enjoyed our conversation, let us know by sharing it online, subscribing to the podcast, and providing a positive rating and review. Become a patron by visiting patreon.com forward slash illustration D-E-P-T. In return, you'll receive a gift, a discount code, and access to short episodes we're calling Extra Credit. 
This podcast is produced by the Illustration Department, a global leader in online education for illustrators. Visit us at illustrationdept.com for class offerings, testimonials, the alumni showcase, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.